Hello, my supers and spoonies. Thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. I'm glad that you're here. Today, I want to revisit the topic of how I cope with my chronic illness. I made a previous post about this that focused on the philosophy that I use when thinking about my chronic illness that allows me to better manage the challenges that I face. But I'm revisiting the topic to talk about it from a more practical perspective. I want to talk about some coping skills or tools that I use to help you get through the tough times. Um, as I got to working on this, I realized that there was a lot of material here, so I've broken it into two parts. And this is that promised second post about coping skills. Yeah, I finally got around to that. All right, so stress management. Having stress is unavoidable, and it's a frequent trigger for chronic illness flares. So knowing how to manage and cope with stress is essential to achieving a sense of wellness. The first thing about stress is being mindful of your spoons. Oftentimes, we create additional stress in our lives when we dismiss our spoon count or push ourselves beyond our known limits. Good spoon management is good stress management. This starts with having an awareness of how many spoons you have and how many spoons different activities will cost. Then it comes down to saying no to a lot of things that is going to cost you spoons. Even people without chronic illness should be doing this because Americans have so bought into this hustle culture, most of us struggle to recognize what reasonable expectation and workloads even look like. Having good boundaries and setting firm limits in our social relationships makes a huge difference in our stress levels. If you have not been maintaining good boundaries or setting limits, initiating this is going to be very stressful, but in the long run, it will reduce your stress. One thing that happens when you set boundaries and limits is that you're going to eliminate the toxic people from your life. They're just not going to stay. That alone is going to reduce a lot of your stress. Think about your boundaries and limits as your user guide for interactions with you. Once put into this context, it makes sense why they're useful at reducing stress, both emotional and physical. When others know how best to, to interact with you, they're going to be less likely to do things that are outside of your operating parameters and thus will be less likely to cause stress in your system. Engage in self-care activities. This is going to look different for everyone. Do things that help you feel important, that bolster your self-esteem, and that are restful. Be sure that you're engaging in play. Too many adults have forgotten how important it is to have fun. Self-care is essential because these things are going to wash your spoons. You can't just throw away the dirty spoons and buy new ones. Sorry, there isn't a spoon store out there. So you got to wash your spoons if you want to have some available to do the things. When you're evaluating your self-care you know, regimen, only consider it self-care if it actually gives you back clean spoons. Does a hot shower relax and energize you? Great, you've earned a spoon. It's self-care. Or does taking a shower cause you to feel tired and dizzy? Oh, right. That means you spent a spoon on that activity and it is not self-care. Everyone is going to be very different when it comes to getting their spoons washed, but you need to do the work to figure out what washes your spoons and you need to do those things. You need clean spoons. Get some hobbies. The first reason that you should get a hobby is that they're great for stress management. When we engage in activities that we enjoy, we reduce our stress levels. This improves quality of life. 
And I already discussed why reducing stress is so important. So yeah, all that. It alleviates boredom. Let's face it. There are times that having disability means that there are activity choices that are just limited. If we have chosen activities ahead of time and have all the required things readily available, we can bring more options into our lives. This can be a really huge thing if you're housebound or have ADHD. Boredom can be very hard to deal with. It can be soul crushing. Having hobbies is a way to give yourself things to do and a way to avoid the boredom. It offers a sense of self of productivity during times of your illness flares. Many of us cannot work or work less than we used to or less than we would like to. With that often comes the feeling that we are not being productive or doing anything useful with our time. Hobbies can help with this, especially if you have a hobby that is creative or makes something. Having a hobby gives you something to talk to people about other than your illness. All of us in the chronic illness community are very aware that most people really don't want to talk about our medical woes and dramas. To be honest, most of it doesn't make any sense to them anyway. Having a hobby gives you another topic for conversation. When people ask what you've been up to, you can talk about the book that you've been reading, the blanket you're crocheting, or those rocks that you've been collecting. Most people are happy to talk about people's hobbies. Plus, there are online communities dedicated to these hobbies, which can give you a social circle that's not related to your illness. Because, let's be honest, we don't want to talk about it all the time either. Hobbies help you become more patient. In order to develop a new hobby, you have to learn how to do something that is brand new to you. The odds are that there is going to be a learning curve and you will need to be patient in order to build your skills. Research shows that hobbies improves patience. Cultivating patience is super valuable because that patience with your new craft will translate to patience with your symptoms and with a stranger who said something insensitive. Having hobbies can increase your confidence and self-esteem. The odds are that if you really enjoy an activity, you are usually pretty good at it. Any activity that you can excel in is an opportunity for you to build your confidence and develop pride in your accomplishments. And it is all too easy to let chronic illness tear us down and allow us into believing that we have no value or that we can't do anything well. Having a hobby that we're good at is concrete evidence that we can, in fact, be good at something. I will always argue that anything increases a skill or knowledge set is valuable, and hobbies do both. Things that we learn while doing our hobbies can be translated to other parts of our lives, not to mention that it is simply good for our brains to be using them. Learning and skill building are both ways to protect our brains against dementia. It can help improve the symptoms of brain fog. Because our bodies don't put effort into things that we are not using, if you don't use it, you lose it is accurate in context of medicine. So if you want to keep your intellectual capacities, you need to be using them. It enriches your life and it gives you a different perspective on things when you have a hobby. No matter what type of hobby you choose, you will definitely be exposed to new ideas. Hobbies help you grow in various ways, including exposing you to new opinions and to new ways of looking at life. Usually also includes being exposed to new people. All of this will help you when you are trying to challenge your negative thinking or trying to reframe your thoughts. Anything can be a hobby as long as it is something that you are actively engaged with 
that you do regularly and enjoy doing. There are all kinds of options out there and many of them are very friendly to those of us with chronic illness. Don't be afraid to try new things. If you don't find you enjoy it, that's all right. The time you spent with the task probably taught you something. Just like everything else in medicine, this will be a process of trial and error. I personally recommend having several hobbies that you can cycle through, and this will give you more choices and it will keep your hobbies from getting stale or boring. It is important to be adaptable. We need to redefine our concept of normal. This means that we cannot compare ourselves to other people or what they are experiencing, but rather we need to take a long and realistic consideration of where we are at right now. This often involves reframing, but I want to talk about this as a separate thing because I think it is so important. If we consider healthy or good or normal, being able to run a marathon, then most people will not be able to achieve that goal. Most people aren't in the category of people who would be able to be capable of a marathon. That doesn't mean that failure has occurred because a marathon hasn't been achieved. In the same way, we need to consider what categories and groups we should be including ourselves in. When I compare myself to other people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, it feels completely different than when I compare myself to those that don't have it. Many times, people express fear in regards to identifying with one's illness. Acknowledging a thing as a part of you doesn't give it the power to destroy you. I'm a mother, a female, a nurse, have Ehlers-Danlos, have ADHD, am autistic. None of these things completely define me, but by accepting them as a part of me, I can adapt how we engage with the world or better accommodate the characteristics that are part of each of those categories so that I can fit better in my environment. Adaptation can mean a lot of things. It can be using devices to allow you to use less spoons during the day. It could be accepting your reality just as it is. It is the process by which we allow ourselves to be better suited to the environment that we are living in. That may require changing the environment or it may require changing ourselves. It requires looking at our chronic illness as a challenge to be conquered or a puzzle to be solved. We need to work on managing our expectations. We need to make sure that we have realistic expectations of ourselves. The nature of mortality is that we will decline in function over time. This is true whether you have chronic illness or not. We cannot maintain the same expectations of ourselves when a change has occurred and continue to function well. Okay, you were able to do this thing before, but can you do it now? And that's the only part of it that matters. Can you do it now? If the answer is that no, then you need to change your expectation because there is suffering in the gap between expectation and the actual capacity of your performance. When we expect that we will still be able to do the things we previously did and then we can't, we experience feelings of disappointment and shame. This is a devaluing of ourself. Making sure that your expectations match reality will close this gap and thus eliminate the suffering. It is about accepting the state of yourself that currently is. 
not the one that used to be. Let's look at an example. Fatigue is a great example for this. When you were a child, you can run and play without ever seeming to run out of energy. Well, you had less energy when you were in your 20s. You still had it in a seeming abundance. But now your body has changed and you find that you just don't have the same amount of energy that you used to have. You have fewer spoons. It doesn't matter what happened to take those spoons. It just matters that you have less of them. You used to have 40 spoons before, and now you have 20 on most days. If you still plan out your life with the expectation that you can complete 40 spoons worth of tasks every day, then you will fail in your own mind every day because you will never have the physical resources needed to be successful. But if you can accept that your spoon allotment is now 20 spoons and you plan your day to never use more than 20 spoons, you're going to experience more success. When we're managing our expectations, it doesn't necessarily mean that we must choose to do less. It might mean that we do things in a different way that requires less spoons. Maybe we allow ourselves to use assistive devices like a wheelchair so that we save spoons for other things that day. Maybe we allow others to take on tasks that we previously had performed and thus use less spoons. Maybe it's about learning to pace ourselves in a different way. Anything that uses your spoons in a better, more economical way will help you do what you want to get done while managing your expectations of yourself. Living with uncertainty. Life is all about uncertainty. There is no way to know that what tomorrow will bring us. Having chronic illness makes you more aware of this uncertainty as your physical status fluctuates from day to day, often leaving you feeling like there is never any way to predict how you will be feeling from one day to the next. Well, that's actually how life is for everyone. We make guesses all the time about the future, but they are just guesses. How comfortable you are with uncertainty will directly affect how well you cope with your chronic illness. Uncertainty occurs when the ground with which we're familiar shifts, seemingly right beneath our feet, and things are in a state of flux where no one knows what will happen next or how things are going to be playing out and what a new normal may look like when all the dust settles. The human body is hardwired to respond to uncertainty in that our brains are structured to assess potential threats and risks. In the face of uncertainty and unpredictability, our nervous systems are on high alert, braced for reacting through fight, flight, or freeze. We enter an anxiety state. Often, the difference between despair and hope reside in a change of perspective, which is deeply connected to our comfort level with uncertainty. All things pass. Everything changes. This is the law of impermanence. Yet we tend to relate to them as though they are, are or should be permanent. This discrepancy is a source of considerable mental and emotional suffering. As a result, the first and most essential step towards becoming more comfortable with uncertainty and more skillful in dealing with it is to understand and begin to accept that as much as we would like it to be otherwise, virtually nothing is certain. Just as the only true constant in life is change, the only real certainty is uncertainty.
Becoming more comfortable with uncertainty requires that we sit with it and allow ourselves space to feel whatever we're going to feel in response to that uncertainty. Set a timer for 10 minutes. During that time, consider the impermanence and uncertainty in your life. If your thoughts stray, bring them back to this topic. While thinking about these things, notice how you're feeling and allow those feelings to be present without judgment. Sitting in these emotions will help us become more comfortable with them. Do this meditation at least once a week to help make yourself more comfortable with uncertainty. Use the power of humor. Embrace your humor. Most of the time we take things in life much too seriously. If we ask the question, will this matter in five years? Most of the time, the answer is going to be no. If the issue will not have hold in our lives for more than a moment, why give it much emotional investment? Allow yourself to laugh at your small failures like choosing the wrong word due to brain fog or dropping a cup. A sense of humor will help you to build resilience to stress as well as improve your overall physical and emotional health. It connects you to other people and keeps your relationships strong. Humor helps us with reframing our thoughts and laughter can help normalize your situation. Not feeling like laughing? That's okay. Start by laughing. Start by smiling. Just focus on really trying to make the best possible smile and fake laugh. The physical act of smiling triggers our brains to release some of the chemicals that make us feel happy. And pretending to smile and laugh often leads to laughing at how awkward it is to pretend to do it. Once you've laughed, you know, that real kind about how awkward you are, you're right where you wanted to be, smiling and laughing at your awkwardness. Get into a social group that cheers you up. Trade jokes or memes with your friends. Make it a goal to have at least one good laugh every day. Find humor in your chronic illness by looking at the sheer ridiculousness of all of it. Or just watch a comedian that strikes the right chord. What you're laughing about doesn't matter. Exercising your humor does. Smiling and laughing reduces stress, which is always important. The use of humor is also associated with an increase in the function of the immune system. It's associated with pain reduction, and it is shown to have improvements in mood. And there are no side effects. So go find something funny. Use serenity and acceptance. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I personally recommend that every person with chronic illness make this a daily mantra. We can easily waste our spoons struggling with aspects of our chronic illnesses that can't be changed. While we can just as easily find ourselves too overwhelmed with anxiety or fear to make the changes that really could help. When you find yourself worrying over a problem, the first step is to ask yourself if it is something that you can change. Can I change that I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? Nope. The next question to ask, is it something that you can better adapt to? Because this is where we usually hold the power in our lives. The universe often throws a bunch of crap at us that we have no control over and that we can do nothing to change. But if we get hung up on those things, we will never see where our power is and we are never going to find our way forward. 
So where does that leave us? Leaves us with the reality that there are endless ways to help us cope with our chronic illness. But remember that you are not required to do this alone. Find support through friends, family, church, online groups, or wherever you feel that the people are good to you. Surround yourself with people who treat you well. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you don't feel that there is a friend or a family member that you can go to, then find a professional. There are many services out there for those who are low income, and there is an increasing availability of services online. As always, thank you for spending time with me today, and I hope that you are well.